y'all want to go with so-and-so to go somewhere? I, sure, yeah, what are they going to tell me? You know. Um, well, kids are a blessing, and they're very truthful most of the time. Um, if you will, this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to find ourselves this morning in the Gospel of John again. We've already read one passage from there earlier. Uh, this will be chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 22. As, as uh, previously mentioned, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. If you don't know what that is, um, it was started by actually Ronald Reagan uh, in his presidency to remember life. Uh, in the midst of a culture that increasingly has become, uh, in many respects, a, de- a culture of death. Um, we have set aside one Sunday. It's actually the, the Sunday closest to the 22nd of January, which is the Roe v. Wade uh, decision anniversary. Um, and so Ronald Reagan uh, instituted this, this Sunday for us to remember. And uh, ultimately, Bush followed suit. Uh, Clinton did not. And then, of course, the other Bush did, and as far as I know, Obama has not. But um, you can draw your own lines of distinction about why. Uh, But here's what the Scripture says today to us from John chapter 3 and verses 22. Or verse 22. After this, Jesus and His disciples went into the Judean countryside, and He remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anan near Salem, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete." He must increase, but I must decrease. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your holy Word. And we pray now that You would speak to us from these words found in John by Your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. read an article the other day that proclaimed boldly that he said, I hate sanctity of human life Sunday. He said, now I don't hate it because it is unbiblical. Uh, No, it's very biblical to respect life in the Bible. Um, Even in the Old Testament, uh, the slaves are respected. So, many people have a problem that slaves are even found in the Bible but that is the culture and context of that Old Testament world, that ancient Near Eastern world. And yet they're protected in the Bible. 
unlike any other laws in the ancient world that we know about. Uh, you cannot just treat them as property. Now he said, I don't hate uh, sanctity of human life because it's unbiblical. I don't hate it because it's inappropriate. Some people say, look, that's a political issue. And therefore, it must not be brought up in church. It is a divisive topic. You know, it's not something in a, in a formal dining setting that you really want to drop on the table. What's your thoughts on abortion? Uh, unless you want to ruin the dinner table. Um, no, he says it's not inappropriate for us to speak about uh, abortion or about life in a church context because quite frankly, the Scripture is extremely clear when it comes to when life begins. No, he says, I hate human or sanctity of human life Sunday because I'm reminded that we have to say things to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say. Mothers shouldn't kill their children. Fathers shouldn't abandon their babies. No human life is worthless, regardless of skin, color, age, disability, economic status. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of this present darkness that we live in. He says, I hate sanctity of human life Sunday because I'm reminded that as I'm preaching, there are babies warmly nestled in wombs who won't be there tomorrow. I'm reminded that there are children, maybe even blocks from here, who will be slapped, punched, and burned with cigarettes before nightfall. I'm reminded that there are elderly men and women languishing away in loneliness, their lives pronounced as a waste. He says, we'll always need Christmas. We'll always need Easter. But I hope, please, Lord, someday soon, that Sanctity of Human Life Day is unnecessary. May it be so. May it be so. But how do we go about changing our culture? Everybody wants to know that. How do you change the culture? We, we all can kind of agree across party lines that something's wrong. Every religion in the entire world identifies an uneasiness about life. A problem in our world. Something that has gone awry. Something that has been wronged or fallen. Every religion known to mankind has a problem and they also offer a solution. If we're going to change the world, we need the one who's already changed the world, and that is Jesus. Now, it may sound trite to you. It may sound simple. But He is the answer to our human condition. There is no better answer than Jesus Christ, who Himself became a zygote, which is the first stage of human life, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We just read and recited those very words. And in those words is the truth about humanity and about human life when it begins. It's really interesting. You don't have to know a lot to know about the Roe v. Wade decision. Essentially what's said about the Roe v. Wade decision is we don't know if this is a human person or not at that 
cellular stage. So therefore, you're allowed to kill it. You're allowed to kill them. So, G.K. Chesterton, even before the abortion debate really heats up, writes something that I find is, is, is very telling about that decision. He says, if you were to go to a foreign land and you were to come upon a fence and you say to yourself, well, I wonder why there's a fence here. I'm just going to cut it down. I'm just going to destroy it. (laughs) Would that be the logical conclusion you'd come to if you came to a fence? You didn't know what was behind that fence? A wall? You didn't know what was behind that wall? Let's just bust it down. We don't know what it is. Therefore, we must destroy it. If you came to an ancient temple or ancient findings, you didn't know what they were. Stonehenge, for instance. Would you just simply say to yourself, let's destroy it. That's the solution is to destroy it. We'll understand it better by and by. No. no. That's not the conclusion. And yet, legally, that's the conclusion that our nation came to. That's really fascinating, America. It's a great nation. And it's fascinating the Bible. It's a great book. And the Bible says we must obey our authorities. And yet this nation, this very nation that you and I are citizens of, disobeyed their Lord not Jesus, but the king, and started a revolution. So we're actually founded on the fact that we are revolutionaries. Uh, Many of the people who signed, as you know, uh, the founding documents of our nation died for that signature. Um, And I wonder today, what are we willing to do to cause a revolution in our world? You know, Every once in a while, we need that. We need renewal. Whatever you want to call it. Revival. And it must start here at Harvest Point. It must start here in your own heart. That's where revival begins. It's where renewal begins. It's where a revolution can take place. You see, it's a really special day today for multiple reasons. We're celebrating baptism today. We've already said this. What does baptism represent for us? New life. Think about this. What better day could this fall upon than the day that we celebrate the very sign that God has given to us of entering into His new life. And at the same time, celebrating life. Now, in engaging culture, you don't have to always be negative. And obviously, good news is great. But good news is always better when there's really bad news. And we must understand the bad news in order for it to be good news. Or else, it's something offered to us that is ultimately meaningless. If you did not know you had cancer, and you won an award or a certificate for a $50,000 cancer treatment, you would just put it in a box somewhere and say... Thanks a lot. I win something finally and it's nothing. You know. But if you had cancer and all of a sudden your treatment was completely paid for, wow, that'd be quite good news, wasn't it? Yes. We have the key. We, all, we don't always know where to put it. And that's pretty much describes our Christian culture today in America. We've got the answer and we... Feel like it's good news, 
think Jesus is pretty good news, but we don't always know how good a news we really have. You see, if we were living in a place like India, where 90% plus are not Christians, every day, in and out, you're passing idols and people who worship idols. Abject poverty on top of all of that. Plus, a huge Muslim population. Uh, It would mean a little more to be Christian there. Whereas here, we just kind of all feel like we're in the same boat. Everybody we meet is Christian or conservative or whatever you know evangelical term you want to use here. And ultimately, the things of God become familiar to us and therefore not holy. Didn't this happen to Nadab and Abihu, who were the sons of Aaron? God had just told Aaron, this is the way I want my temple run. This is how I want my sacrifice. I want this kind of wood. I want this kind of animal to be offered. And Nadab and Abihu, growing up around the things of God their entire life, going to church all the time the doors were open with their dad who was the priest, say, you know what? I'm going to cut corners. I really don't feel like going you know, to go get the good wood. I'm just going to go buy the local stuff at Walmart. And they buy the cheap stuff and offer it up to God and He kills them. It's quite shocking in the text. He burns them up. And then He tells Aaron not to grieve over them. That's tough. I wonder sometimes if we have not become too familiar with the things of God. Even too familiar with one another. If today is sanctity of human life Sunday, then that means we ought to see one another as holy. Each life as holy. That's what sanctity actually means. It comes from the term sanctification. It's in the same roots, etymologically. Yes, today we need to rethink, reconsider, re-envision even one another. I know you pass people all the time. And sometimes people can just become the next object that passes through the windshield of the car. But that's not how we ought to look at one another in community. That's why we need community. We don't need to just pass each other by. There ought to be times in our week where we stop, where we interrupt our day to get involved in the lives of others. This is what God has called us to. This is what Jesus has commissioned us with. Going into all of the world, baptizing, making disciples, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, God has given us this sign of baptism, and it is a sign. And last... uh, A couple weeks back, I talked to the kids about signs and how a sign points to the thing by which it signs. Um, It is not the thing itself. So this is not the new birth, and yet it signs to us, it represents to us, it symbolizes to us in a real way the new birth. Remember what Jesus says in John, unless you are born of water, and the Spirit, you don't have a part of me. 
You're not one with me. So we must be born of water and of the Spirit. And ultimately, Jesus Himself even is baptized at 30. So baptism is this sign of God's covenant. Now, you talk about signs, you've got to go all the way back to the Old Testament. Baptism, as anything in the New Testament, has its roots in deeply in the Old Testament. So, where do we see this thing of water coming about in the Old Testament first is really in Genesis 1, isn't it? I mean, three verses in and the Spirit is hovering over the deep, which is another way of saying the deep waters. So the Spirit abides above the waters. He flies over the waters. Not only that, where's the next place that water features big time in the Bible? In Genesis again, Noah and the flood. And again, you have a representative flying over the waters. Remember, He releases the raven. Then He releases the what? The dove. And it comes back with a twig which represents there's, there's dry land. We're back now. That water, the waters of the flood cleansed the world. This was a baptism of even the world. And you'll remember, Peter later on in his epistle tells us baptism saves us just like it saved Noah. We need to think about that. One thing is, Noah did not have a submarine, he was not immersed in the water but instead sprinkled upon and poured upon. And yet in his ark, which represented uh, safety for them, even a temple, if you will, they were saved. Then you come to the Red Sea. This is your next big moment with Moses. And ultimately, they are there and the water separates them from new life, doesn't it? Not only are there, is their life being threatened by the Egyptians who are hot on their trail and being prevented by a cloud, remember? You know what clouds are made of. But then God splits through Moses the water and they pass through the waters. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul will then say, just as they passed through the waters of the Red Sea, it was a baptism into Moses. So too now, we pass through the waters of baptism and it is a baptism into Christ. You see, the writers of the New Testament, all they have is the Old Testament. We forget that sometimes. And when our diet is only New Testament, we are deficient, anemic. We don't have a solid theology of what we are talking about or believing in. And so water again features in this way as they pass through the waters, what do they pass? What's on the other side? New life. The promised land. Redemption from Egypt. And then what's waiting for them at Mount Sinai? Revelation. You see, again, even here, water features as initiation into the community, into new life, into the promises that God has for us. But not only that, God has actually given them also at the temple purification washings. They would wash before they entered the temple. 
And you remember some of the discussions in the New Testament about purification and how your disciples aren't doing it our way and so on and so Even there, in the very temple, you could not enter the temple without washing. Now, God has also given us in the Old Testament a sign of the Old Covenant. So the Old Covenant has a sign, the New Covenant. Now when we say Old Covenant and New Covenant, we're just simply saying Old Testament and New Testament. That's why we don't talk about really... People say, oh, the Old Testament, you know, that's the Old Covenant. And when we think old, we're thinking cell phone old, you know? Like, no words, it doesn't work, it's in a drawer somewhere, don't mess with it. And most of us never crack open our Old Testament because, ah, it's old. I mean, we are a culture that likes new. If it's new, it's good. If it's new, it's in. If it's new, it's better. And we are obsessed with the new. Which is really why we should just say it's the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. It's not old and outdated and unusable. No. No, no, no. Everything we have in the New Testament is founded in the Old Testament and in Jesus Christ who is right there in the middle between the two Testaments holding them together in His very person. He believes in the Old Testament. He sees His ministry as the fulfillment, as bringing it to its final conclusion in Himself. And so, you say, what is the sign in the Old Testament of the Old Covenant? I'm glad you asked. It's interestingly, circumcision. Now, as one of my students who was half asleep in my class said, Circumcision? (laughs) He woke up very quickly when that word was mentioned and was very confused at the same time and surprised the girl beside him. Yes, circumcision is God's sign in the Old Testament. What a, what a, you ever notice how God surprises us? He never just does it the way you think it should be done, you know. Um, if you want to see how humans invent religion, go read mythology. It's like a divine soap opera, it looks a lot like us. But the Bible doesn't always look a lot like us. It really wouldn't be the plan we would conceive of. Sometimes it's inconceivable. I mean, God becoming one of us? Him taking on diapers? I mean, what kind of God would want to do that, much less do it? No, His plan is always a little different than ours, and yet good for us. And so He comes to Abraham and He says, Look, you and I, Abraham, are going to be in a relationship. Everybody says, okay, this, this is fantastic, right? Because he's got the three promises. He's got family, he's got fame, and he's got land. That's what God promised him. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And so God says, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this covenant thing. Abraham says, right on. God says, okay, I'm going to put a sign on you to let people know that you are mine. Abraham says, awesome. Am I going to get a hat? No. Okay, you're gonna put it on my hand, you know, so when we when we shake, you can see that. No. Why do you want this sign, God? Oh. There? Really? Hmm. Wow. You heard from our reading from Paul even today, his severity with sexual sin. And I think you can see in our own culture our obsession with sexual sins. Not only do the the debates roar around us, but sin itself is at our door. Right on our devices. Right on our billboards. You can't even watch 
family television without medicines and other devices being advertised. It's an obsession. And so God says, the one thing that creates life in our world, the one thing that we often misuse in our world, that's where I want my son. Circumcision. It, it's really quite shocking. And it became the sign for the Jews. That was the sign that they were in covenant. And you say, yeah, that's probably just a side issue, Mark. Yeah, it's kind of optional, you know what I mean? You better go read Moses. Moses did not circumcise one of his children. And his wife quickly did it because she saw an angel with the sword drawn ready to kill Moses. That's pretty serious. But that's Moses, by the way. Not just some podunk guy from no, Nowhereville. We're talking about Moses. You know, God's man. So, circumcision was extremely important. Circumcision was administered to a child that was born into a Jewish family at eight days old. You'll remember, Jesus Himself follows this. And at eight days old, He goes and receives the sign of the covenant. The initiation into God's promises. At eight days old, as He's being held there um, and prophesied over. So, this is where we get our Old Testament roots and the fruit of that is baptism. Whereas circumcision was limited to males, now baptism is for all people. And we have continued the tradition of those who are born into Christian families being baptized as infants, as children. Uh... You don't necessarily have to agree with that. But the Bible doesn't disagree with it. Uh, you say, well, there's no instances of it. And there's no specific instances because everybody that's baptized in the New Testament are new converts. We don't have second century or second generation Christians anywhere in Acts. There's not one. There's not anywhere that's already Christian and in their baptizing people. That, that, that doesn't happen in Acts. Historically speaking, we do have the writings of early church fathers from the second century. And they're already baptizing children and infants. Again, it's a point we could disagree on because the Scripture is not as clear as we want it to be on mode, method, or age. There is no age given. Jesus is at 30. Should we wait till 30? Of course not. Jesus says to the disciples when they reject the children, do not... Reject the children, but let them come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. And so we respect those words, and we also understand that baptism is one baptism, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. One Lord, one baptism. Baptism should unite us, not divide us. So I'm willing to reach the hand across controversial lines to say, here's what's necessary. Water... And in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. That's a Christian baptism. We can argue all day long about age or about method. But so long as those two things are used, it's a Christian baptism. And so in a message, you don't want to be apologetic, but at the same time you want to teach what the Scriptures are clear on. You know, where I always fall is, where the Scriptures are clear, I want to be extremely clear. Where they're not, I want to be gracious. I want to be gracious. Entertain a lot of ideas. You know, baptism, however, is not just a sign of new life, a sign of the promises of God, the community of God, but instead it's actually an encounter with God. That's what makes it a sacrament. That's what makes it a means of grace is that God is involved. If this is just something we do, it's all in our head, it's all in what I can do by presenting myself, then it's all a human work. But that is not the way the Scriptures talk about both baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's something, yes, we are to remember, but we are also in remembering to encounter, to bump into, to run into God. We want to position ourselves to meet Him. You know, last week, I'm, or some things run together for me, and maybe I was telling my class, but uh, when I met Jessica, I positioned myself, you understand, to where I could talk to her, where she could clearly see me. Uh, in front of her is where I sat. In the same way, if we want God's grace, we must position ourselves in the ways that He has given to us. Baptism is one of those ways. And so today, you're not going to be a just an observer. No, you that have been baptized will reaffirm your baptism today and the vows that were either made over you or that you yourselves spoke to God. And you'll remember the day when you too were born again. Everybody must be born again. This is not being born again. This is the sign of it. This is the encounter of it. This is where it all begins and gets started. It's where it opens up. It's the crossing, remember, of the Red Sea. Think Old Testament. We're, we're so deficient that we, we're so weak in our understanding of baptism that we just think, ah, this is something I did a long time ago. It's been no big deal. It is a big deal. And it should be reminded. It should be actually reaffirmed. And this is exactly what we are going to do together. It is a means of grace. If you want to experience Jesus, if you want Him to change you, your attitude, your sinfulness, your selfishness, your past, all of this can be washed away today. And the sign is right here. It's water. As I told the kids moments ago, we get dirty. We go outside and play. And we need the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, which is often represented in the power of water. Water is something that is so simple that you can cup it in your hand and yet it can destroy you over a period of time. Move rocks. Diffuse bombs. It is a powerful source in our world today. And so as we participate in baptism today, look back. Look back to all of what God has done for you. All of what He's provided for us. He has laid it out all for us. 
but also look now at what He wants to give you today. Some of you need a touch from God. You need to encounter God today. You're you're on the brink of something sinful or you're on the brink of a depression or you're on the brink of anger or you're on the brink of losing it or maybe losing a friend. Directionally challenged at this point in your life. You need to encounter God. You don't just need to listen to my words or sing your own words, but you need God. You need Jesus Himself. And you know what? He's offering Himself today, this very hour. Today is the day of salvation, Deuteronomy says. Do not delay. Why not now meet Him in this place? Why not now experience Jesus in, in a way that is life-transforming? Some of you have been playing around with God for a long time. You know, I've done it before. I grew up in church. I know the games. I know how to be familiar with the things of God. But you know what? Every once in a while you need to realize that somebody else is on the other end of the line. This thing about coming to church, reading our Bible and praying and ministering and offering ourselves. You know what? It's like dropping a it's drop like dropping a line in the ocean. Long time you wait and you don't really feel anything, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get a hit on the other end. Wow. There's something living on the other end. You can't see it, but you know it's there. We need that. Some of you don't even have your lines out. You're trying to fish, but there's nothing on the other end of the hook. You're never going to catch anything. Drop it into the baptismal waters today. You will experience God in His fullness. He's offering Himself to us today. What good news is that? That, my friends, is the best news around. So let us look forward to that day when we are married to Jesus Christ. This reaffirmation of our vows is reaffirming our engagement to the bridegroom. We are all the bride. We're all the female in this relationship. And we receive from Him. Did you hear what John said in this passage? The key verse for today. He says to us, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Our salvation has been given to us. Our job is to receive it. May we do that by the power of His Spirit. Amen.